That's exciting. I hope you are excited. We are um, starting our Who's Your One campaign today. And, uh, and it is a, a great and wonderful event that we hope to do each year. And, and J.D. is right. J.D. is the president of our Southern Baptist Convention and pastor of Summit Church in North Carolina. They, um, they started doing something like this. I know that Tom Rainer had a, uh, a program called Invite Your One. We had a, we've done this kind of, uh, we did an each one reach one campaign at churches we've been at the past. But the North American Mission Board recently said, let's, let's make this something that all of our churches can do and be unified about. And so that's, uh, that's the exciting thing about us being able to be a part of this is not only are we doing it, but many other churches are participating in this across the nation. And we're beginning to see the impact of having our churches focus on not on reaching millions of people, and a number that sometimes just blows our mind when we think of how many people are unreached. And even here in Cape Girardeau County, there's like 53,000 people that are in this unreached category of, of needing to needing someone to reach out to them and connect with them. And and so you think about it, that number gets a little overwhelming. Well, we're not asking you to think about reaching 53,000. We're asking you to think about reaching one person. One person. We have some things we're going to pass out to you right now. Uh, got some uh, guys who are going to hand these out. I want everybody to have one of these before you leave here today. It is a bookmark. And on this bookmark, um, either you can do it this morning or you can do it uh, sometime over the next 30 days, uh, there is a is a little perforated area, and there's a place to write a name of a person here and a place to write a name of a person here. And then it has this 30-day uh, checklist of scripture to read. This this bookmark is the thing I want you to hold on to. When you when you have the name of the person you want to do to be who's your one at the end of this service when we do the invitation. And I'm giving you warning in advance of what's going to happen. Uh, we are going to ask everybody who has a name today to bring one, bring it up and just lay it on the altar. Just lay this, tear this card off, and the name. First and last name of the person that you want to bring. Now, if you don't know uh, their first and last name, then uh, I was thinking today that you really should know the name. But then I thought, you know, when Philip reached the Ethiopian eunuch, um, then... Uh, the, I, Funny story. I had a guy, a preacher, a preacher who came to me and said, "Hey, I said, what are you preaching on this week?" He said, "I'm preaching on Philip and Enoch." And I said, "Philip and Enoch?" I said, "That's a weird combination because Enoch coming out of the Old Testament, guy got went never died, went to heaven." I said, "So what's the story? You know how Philip went out to the desert and preached to Enoch?" And I was like, "Oh, you mean eunuch?" Uh, there's a difference between eunuch and enoch, but I didn't press him on that. So anyway, pray for that church. You don't know who they are. Um, but um, the uh, so anyway, if you just want to write a description, like cashier at Walmart, <laughs> and that's all you know is that they're the cashier at Walmart, and that's who you're praying for, you can write that down. We will collect these. And we will put these into a little binder prayer thing so we also, and put that in our prayer room, so we also staff and anybody who wants to come in the prayer room and pray for these people to be saved can join you in that. You hang on to this one. You hang on to this one. And, and there's a 30-day prayer guide either available online 
in the in the Bible app, we talk about the Bible app all the time. You can go to the Bible app and and just search who's your one. It'll have the 30 day prayer guide. But we also have enough for everybody to take one. There's a bunch of them back there. They're scattered out in a foyer or whatever. But you so take one of these and and inside of the prayer guide, it actually has a blank on each day of the prayer guide that you put the name of the person you're praying for. And so it walks you through 30 days of praying for that person to be saved. Now let me just tell you something. We don't, if nothing else happens as a result of this, if we had everybody in this room praying for someone who's lost for 30 days, that's a big event that we have not experienced, at least since I've been here. I have never experienced that in any church I've ever been a part of. Uh, and, and so that that is a life-changing event in and of itself. And that is God lays on your heart somebody's name. You put that name down, and we begin praying for that person to be saved. Now, this is the feedback I've gotten from people in the past. And it's like, I don't want to write their name down, because what if they found out we were praying for them and that we thought they were lost? Let me tell you something. If somebody thought I was lost and wrote my name down, one, it would be a sobering reality that, that's, that they believed that I wasn't a follower of Jesus Christ. That would be a wake-up call for me. But in no way would I be upset, angry, mad that a group of people were praying for my salvation that I would not go to hell but go to heaven for all eternity. And if they, you say, well, they don't believe in God. Well, then what does it matter what they think? I mean, what is, isn't it more important that you are praying for them and for their salvation, that we are declaring all-out battle uh, apprehension, trying to seek that person and, and see their life change? I mean, we're talking about their life is for an eternity. In, in, they're in danger of being separated from God and from His love for all eternity. Don't be concerned about what they're going to think. Uh Write their name down and so we can pray for them. Write their name down so you keep that bookmark and pray for them. Uh, over the next few weeks, we'll be seeing testimonies of people who were, who were one, who was somebody's one and came to saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. We will sell the re- one of the main reasons why is we want to be able to celebrate with you. We want to see the body of Christ praying collectively together for people to be saved. And when God saves those people, we want to celebrate as the body of Christ each time one of those people gets saved. I have one. I have one, and I'm praying for that person for 30 days, and I will celebrate, and we will celebrate when that one comes to know Jesus Christ. I believe wholeheartedly that uh, this person will put their faith in Jesus and, uh, and will rejoice uh, when that happens. I, and again, this isn't a work that I'm doing or you're doing. We're just simply we're praying for God to do something in the lives of these people. So you've got your bookmark. You're going to write the name down. If you do so this morning, we will ask at the end of the service, if you'll just bring, you can come and pray for them this morning. Uh, you can come and pray that God would give you the name of someone. But at the end of the service, we're going to pray and, uh, and just leave the little piece that has a name on it on the altar. And then we'll collect those after the end of service and put those into a prayer journal that we'll keep in our prayer room and begin praying for those people along with you for them to be saved. Take your prayer guide home and take just a moment each day uh, like day one, it says, Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And then it says, God, I know there is only one way to salvation. Jesus is clear. He is the only hope for a lost and dying world. And that includes fill in the blank. 
His or her salvation depends on acknowledging Jesus as who he says he is. And he alone is the source of salvation. Use the people and circumstances in that person's life today to point him or her to the reality of Jesus. Give me courage and boldness to call so-and-so to faith in Jesus when the opportunity arises. And help me make it clear there is no other way to be saved. That's day one. <coughs> it has a place here to journal your prayers if you want to write, <coughs> excuse me, write out a personal prayer. Uh, there on the side, but keep that journal, and that is again invaluable. As uh, think of what a gift that is. Think of what a gift it is. A person comes to know Jesus Christ, and you can say, "Hey, I want you to have this. This is my journal of prayer for your salvation, and uh, and to be able to rejoice in that." The bookmark has each of those passages of scriptures listed on it, so that you can uh, look it up in God's Word if you don't have your prayer guide with you. <coughs> Excuse me, and um, and lift them up in prayer. So I am so excited about this. I am excited every time. I know that every time I have led a church to emphasize sharing the gospel, more people have been saved than other years when we did not have that emphasis. And so this is a time when we, with anxious expectation, because I know this, you may know my one, and I may know your one, but there are going to be a lot of ones out there that you and I do not know who that person's one is. And let me share this story with you. I got a a call from a friend. Uh, who's a pastor, they just finished their campaign, their 30-day campaign. He said, um, he got a call from a dad in his church. He said, my son came to me as we were going through this, and he said, Dad, I've got my one. That's all he said. Dad, I've got my one. Ten-year-old boy. And uh, great. And so uh, then he went to FCA. Uh, this 10-year-old boy, he put this together. He was given permission to speak at his FCA and a meeting that they do before school, he invited his one, his friend, to come to that particular meeting. And at the meeting, he shared his testimony, the boy did, about how he came to Christ. His friend, after the meeting was over, came to him and said, you know, I, how did, I would like to know more about how you got saved and about how I could be that person. Went home and told his dad about that. Uh, his dad called the boy's grandfather, who he knew was a Christian, told what was going on. The grandfather then led that boy to Christ. And so one more to the kingdom, simply because a 10-year-old boy in a campaign that's going on in the church said, I've got my one. So uh, let me just, I pray that you will begin praying about, uh, again, who is your one. I've clarified now that you have it written out in front of you. There should be no more confusion that this is not from Indiana, a Hoosier one campaign. I have people ask me that multiple times. What does this have to do with Hoosiers? Nothing. It has nothing to do with Hoosiers. Who's your one? This morning, um, message is called On Earth As It Is In Heaven. And when you think about, when you, we come up with certain names of people, certain descriptions, a, a picture comes in your head. When I say the word politician or fitness guru or millennial, you get an image in your head of a person and attributes of those people. Well, when you say the word Christian to people in the world, a visual picture comes into their mind. And sadly, the picture that people get in their minds is not 
the same as the biblical portrayal. Actually, Christian was a derogatory term in uh, the early church. People were called that as an insult, not as a compliment. The reality is, is that what Jesus called his followers were disciples. And what we want to understand today and throughout this, well, throughout everything we do in church, is that we want to be a church of disciples, not just Christian, as the world would understand Christian. We want the world to understand what a disciple of Christ is and the distinction of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Uh, the word Christian is used three times in the entire Bible. The word disciple is used 281 times. What we want to be is what God defines as a disciple of Jesus Christ. And a little background on disciples. All Hebrew boys went to Torah school starting at age 5. By age 10, all young boys knew the Torah and the best students went on to study the remainder of the Old Testament. The rest returned home and worked in their families' businesses. At about age 17, if you wanted to go on and make a career out of being a religious studies person, you had to find a rabbi that you admired and you applied to become one of his disciples. When you found one, you would go sit at his feet and that was your request to learn. You would go sit there and hoping that he would ask you to follow him. And the rabbi would examine you with questions and put you through a series of tests to see if you were worthy. He wanted to find the best because it reflected well on him if he had some of the best people then it made him seem like one of the best teachers and so you were trying to find the cream of the crop and so for several years they would then follow their rabbis and they would imitate everything they did to the letter because the goal of the disciple was to be like the rabbi Jesus went to a lake and identified people who were fishing. This is how he started. First people he called, first people he invited to follow him were untrained fishermen. And the thing that I hope you and I see this morning is that he is calling us not because of your expertise in religious studies, but because he wants to show you what he can do through you. Now, it doesn't matter if you think good, well of yourself, then you may have to be humbled a little bit. If you think too little of yourself, that's probably a good start because this isn't about what you can do. This is about what he can do through you. And the more difficult it seems like that would be, the, more, the greater glory he's going to receive. The passage we're going to look at is in Matthew chapter 4, verse 16. Matthew 4, 16. It says, The people who live in darkness have seen a great light, and for those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. From then on, Jesus began to preach, Repent, because the kingdom of heaven has come near. As he was walking along the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Follow me, he told them, and I will make you fish for people. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. 
Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with Zebedee, their father, preparing their nets, and he called them. Immediately, they left their boat and their father and followed him. Pray with me. Father, we just pray, God, this morning that you would call us out to be your disciples. Father, many of us have already heard that call and have responded and are seeking to follow you. But Lord, just remind us of that calling. May, may we today be a day of self-examination as to whether we are doing what we, our rabbi, our teacher, our master has taught us to do. Whether we are still sitting at your feet. Whether we are still learning all that we need to learn from you. Or whether we've been distracted. Father, some may be here today and they've never been following you faithfully. This may be a wake-up call to realize they've been calling themselves Christians. But they've never been disciples of you. They've never been sitting at your feet and learning all that you have to say. May today be the day that they make the decision to respond to your call. And Lord, still others are here who may not even know you. Lord, well, they are our one today. And God, I pray that you would communicate the good news of Jesus Christ, that you died for their sins, that you have paid the price so that they might be a part of your kingdom. May they that reality become clear for them today. May they be drawn to the saving power of Jesus Christ through your word. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. First thing we see that Matthew lets us know is that a light has dawned. Jesus comes to tell everybody that now something new has come into the world. There has been this time of darkness. And uh, in my Bible, there was a Bible I used to have a study out of. After it got done with Malachi, at the very end of Malachi, it had a little line that said, 400 years of silence. And I was always like, what does that mean, 400 years of silence? That means that there was no new revelation of God for 400 years. He had sent... Uh, he had been speaking to the patriarchs, you know, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and then they're in Egypt, and he brings Moses, and he gives them the law, and then there are judges, and then there are kings, and then there are prophets, and God is continually speaking into the lives of people. They go bad, and he calls them out and, and, and tells them, this is, this is where you need to be, this is what you need to be doing, and then nothing. The world's still moving, things are still happening, but God isn't speaking. It's not just silence, it's the silence of God. And then all of a sudden, out in the desert, a man started preaching. A man called John the Baptist. And he began calling people to repentance. And saying that the Lamb of God, the Messiah, the Savior of the world, was coming. And then all of a sudden, he looks up and says, Behold, the Lamb of God and sees Jesus coming, and Jesus wants to be baptized, and he says, I'm not worthy to baptize you. I'm not fit to untie your sandals. And Jesus said, permit it to be so. And so he baptizes him, and the Holy Spirit descends upon Jesus like a dove, and the Father speaks from heaven and says, this is my Son in whom I am well pleased. And thus begins a ministry of God revealing his word, and his word is a person. Meaning, in the person of Jesus Christ, God is communicating everything about himself and his message to his people. And now Jesus, and Jesus tells him, he says, you know what? You are looking for a way. You are pursuing truth. You want the answers to life. I am the way. 
I am the truth. I am the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. And so Jesus becomes the answer. So a light has dawned, and that light still shines. That light still shines. You know, when, when history talks about the dark ages, it's talking about darkness from a worldly perspective, not from a biblical perspective. We, we pay attention to so much of what the world is saying, and, and we pay attention to so little of what God is saying to us. God is, Jesus tells us a light has dawned. Now there is this light in the world, and this light is meant to be shared. Look at look what it says in verse chapter 4, verse 16. It says, The people who live in darkness have seen a great light, and for those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. He's going back to the Old Testament and talking about when God comes into the darkness... And, and, and he always was like, when he came up on the temple, a cloud would over, overcome the temple, but the, the uh, tabernacle. And so he would overcome the tabernacle, and then his fire would illuminate. That's how they traveled, by fire, uh, cloud by day, fire by night. They would, God would lead his people. And now again, Jesus is this fire. He is this fire of the Holy Spirit who's come to lead his people we that light has not gone out for 2,000 years because that light shines. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And then he com- talks to us and he says, you are the light of the world. And, and he says that we should be up on a hill. That's why this church is built on a hill. It's to be a light to this community. It is to be a beacon. It is to, we use illustrations like lighthouse and, and something to, to uh, things that shine and, and so forth. We need to be that beacon to this community. And not only us collectively as a whole, I'm not talking about the building and painting luminescent paint on the building just so it lights up everything, though that would be cool. Uh, But I'm talking about you and me living in Christ and then Christ drawing people to himself because we illuminate him and and we illuminate who he is and what he's about and, and his word. And people are drawn to it. He says, if I am lifted up, I will draw all people to myself. And so he has you in your work. Wherever you work, God has you there to be a light. Wherever you go to school, God has you there to be a light. Wherever you shop, God has you shop at those places to be a light. When he takes you on vacation, he has you on vacation there to be a light. He has you and I to be his light and showing people a way out of darkness. So here's what I want you to hear. I want you to know it's time to let people know. It's time to take the light to people. Time to take the light to people who are living in darkness. Who are living in darkness. Now people are not going to like the light who want to stay in darkness. That's always been the case. People who want to be in darkness will hate the light and they will persecute you and they will despise you and they will try to put your light out. They did that to Jesus. And Jesus said, the disciple is not above his teacher. If they did it to me, they're going to do it to you. They didn't like the light that Jesus brought. They tried to put his light out. Here's how powerful his light is. They killed him. And he came back to life. So they could not put his light out. And in the same way, they cannot extinguish the light that we have either. And so we just are called to be the light. But do not be distracted 
by the people who hate your light because there will be other people who need that light, who are praying for that light, who are hoping to get out of darkness, who want to be set free from whatever it is they're going through. God is going to bring people in your life who He wants you to shine in their lives so that they might be released from that darkness. That means everybody can have one, but not everyone is going to want the light that you give, but there will be ones. And the more you are praying, the more you are asking God for direction to the one, the more the, the chances of our lining up to the people that God wants to reach, that increases significantly. But God may have you to begin pursuing a particular person, and as you pursue that person, it may be their brother or their sister or their cousin or their neighbor or somebody else that's actually needing the light. He just used that person to bring the light in. So always be looking for what God is doing. But the, the key is it, we have to take that light to people. And help them to be set free from the darkness. I was in darkness. You were in darkness. We know what that's like. We didn't want to stay in darkness. Aren't you thankful someone communicated the good news of Jesus Christ to you? There are others who still need to hear. Who need that light. Second thing he says is that the kingdom of Heaven is near. Not only are people living in darkness but, and need to have light brought into their lives, the light of Christ, people need to know that the kingdom of heaven is near. They need to know that this is all going to be wrapped up. Look what he says in verse 17. It says, From then on Jesus began to preach, Repent, because the kingdom of heaven has come near. Now, something they teach us in seminary is this, this phrase called already not yet tension. And that's that when Jesus comes, he ushers in the kingdom of God. So the kingdom of God is here, but it's not yet here in its fullness. And that's where we live in that tension. Jesus has come, but this is not the kingdom. This is not the way it's going to look ultimately when he's reigning on his throne. He is on his throne, but he doesn't have, but he's still allowing the enemy to have power and to do his thing. That will come to an end. But the reality is, is when you draw your last breath, when that heart stops beating, next time you open your eyes, he will be the only king you'll know. And you'll either know him or you won't. He'll either know you as a follower of his or he won't. And so we need to let people know that the time for them to make a decision about who they're going to follow is now. It's time to let people know that this world is going to end and a new one is coming. It's not who do you want to be now in this world, it's who do you want to be in the world to come, the one that lasts forever. That's what the question is. Do you want, do you believe that this is the end? There's a new one, there's a new world coming. And if you want to be alive in this world and have joy and peace and kindness and gentleness and patience and self-control, if you want to have the fruit, enjoy the fruit of the Spirit, if you want to enjoy love and grace and peace 
and mercy, then you need to know Christ. It's only in his kingdom that these attributes are known. It's only in his kingdom that suffering is ended. People need to know. So be light and be and let people know that his kingdom is coming. And the last thing he says is um, this is going to make us fishermen. And I, I don't know if you've ever seen this sign. When you see a sign on the door that says, Gone Fishing, um, well, let me just put it this way. If you came in every day and I had that sign on my office door, you would be suspicious, wouldn't you? All that preacher does is he goes fishing. Well, the question is not about what you're doing. The question is, is what are you trying to catch? And that's true in everything we're doing. When you go fishing, I don't know if you've ever been fishing. I am, I am a horrible catcher of fish. It's a good thing I'm in ministry to catch people because if I was in the ministry to catch fish, I would be hurting. I literally have been fishing next to people, catching fish, and they say, hey, use my pole. And the moment I would hand the pole I had in my hand to them, a fish would bite it, and then whatever they had on their line went away. It's like some cruel joke. But anyway... I love being with people who catch fish, though. It's, it's an amazing thing to participate in. And I've been to some really good fishermen, and they always know where the fish are. Now, they cheat sometimes. They have these fish finder things or whatever. But even with fish finders, I can't catch fish, so that's not necessarily a cheat. But they, but the guys I know who like to go to Kentucky Lake and Lake Barkley and so forth, they know where to go on those lakes where there are fish, and they know what type of fish are there. And they go with the right type of bait and the right type of place and the right type of... It is, it is a job, the, uh, the amount of effort that they put into it, but they enjoy it. They find joy in it and they love it and so forth. This is what we need to become in the fishing of people. This is what disciples of Jesus do when it comes to catching people. We go where they are. We know what they like. We know how to communicate with them. We know what they are looking for, and we lure them in to Christ. We want to simply share the good news with them. And here's the thing. We only catch the ones that, are, that he wants to catch. We don't have the ability to catch them apart from him. Just like he was showing to Peter when he said, Peter, we said, we haven't caught anything all night long. He says, well, cast your nets on the other side. And he's like, Jesus, I love you and respect you. And that's the only reason I'm going to do this. But you know nothing about fishing. So I'm going to throw them on the other side. And so he did that. And then it filled up the net so much they had to have another boat come and pull in that entire hall. And what Jesus was showing is, I am the Lord of the fish. I make them go where I need them to go. You get your net out. I'll get that fish in your net. And friends, when we go out in his name, pursuing his people, he brings them into the net. He's already working in their heart. Now, sometimes we get caught up theologically trying to figure out how all that works. 
I don't think there's actually a command that says figure out how this works. I don't think Peter spent the rest of his life trying to figure out how did he get those fish in that net? How did he do that? The Bible doesn't tell us that. The Bible just says he believed Jesus was who he says he was. And then he can do what he says he's going to do. And that's all you and I have to know. He says if we go out and we are obedient and we proclaim the gospel, that it will have results. He says if we cast out the word of God, it will not return void. He said that if we will do what he asks us to do, he will accomplish his will and his purposes through us. Look at these verses. As he was walking along the Sea of Galilee saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Just pointing out an obvious point. They're out fishing. It's what they do. Follow me, he told them, and I will make you fish for people. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. This is, they know who he is. They've heard about him. They know he's going around speaking, and now he's saying, I want you to sit at my feet. I want you to learn from me. They are not worthy of that calling. It would be like somebody pick out, you know, I, I don't have any care about going to Harvard or Yale, but if you cared about going to Harvard or Yale, it'd be like a representative from an elitist school coming and saying, I want you to be in my school and sit in our program and we're going to train you with the best teachers on the planet. <coughs> Jesus walks up to people in a place where people are not even known for following rabbis. And he calls them out of darkness and into light. John MacArthur says this, God skipped all the wise of the day. The great scholars were in Egypt. The great library was in Alexandria. The great philosophers were in Athens. The powerful were in Rome. He passed over the Herodotus, the historian, and Socrates, the great thinker, and Julius Caesar. He chose men so ordinary it was comical. No rabbis, no teachers, no religious experts. This wasn't the B team. This wasn't even the C team. This is like the double Q team. This is way down the line. But he wasn't coming because of their abilities. He wasn't calling them because of what he knew they could do. He was calling them because of what he knew he could do through them. It says, going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and his brother John. They were in a boat with Zebedee, their father, preparing their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father, and they followed him. Some things I want us to get out of here. One, he chose us, not we him. We didn't make a decision to follow Christ on our own. He came into us, opened our eyes of our need for him because he chose us to follow him and then we responded to that calling. If you are got that turned around in your mind, you need to get it back straight. If you think you discovered Jesus and thought, you know what, he could use a guy like me or a woman like me, I'm going to follow him and give him the best that I've got because he obviously could use it. That is not how that happened. You would have never even known who he was. You would have never known the reality of him. You would have never understood what the Bible is saying about following him if he didn't open your eyes to that. He 
called you out of darkness. He brought light into your world. And our primary calling is to be with him. He is asking us to follow him. He is not asking you to go out and do something greater or to have a great career or to be successful financially or even even to raise your children perfectly. He's asking all of us to follow him, to follow him. And to follow him, we have to leave everything. They left their father's business. They left their job. They left whatever it was they were doing. That's the same it was with all the disciples. Whatever it was they were doing, they got up and they walked away from it to follow him. He may ask you to do that. He may not ask you to do that. He may ask you to stay right where you are and do what you're doing, but to be doing it because he asked you to do it, not because you choose to do it. Maybe he'll ask you to leave your job and carry the gospel overseas. But for most of us, it's not that dramatic. But you will have moments when you decide what holds the greater sway in your life. He commands us to spiritually reproduce. He said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. I will make you catch people. I will cause you to bring more people into the kingdom. I will cause you to bear fruit. John 15:8 says, my father is glorified by this, that you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. He tells his disciples how to do this in the Great Commission. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now in Greek, it's one of the few things I learned in Greek. The words go, baptize, and teach are all participles that derive their force from one controlling verb, and that is the word, verb make disciples everything we do grows out of the call to make disciples every Sunday school class we teach every Bible study we start every life group we create every fellowship meal we participate in every Bible school we conduct every time groups of people get together at the core of that event and committees and services has to be that we are making disciples Robert Coleman in his book, The Master Plan of Evangelism, said this, When will the church learn this lesson? Preaching to the masses, although necessary, will never suffice in the work of preparing leaders for evangelism, nor can occasional prayer meetings and training classes for Christian workers do this job. Individual women and men are God's method. God's plan for discipleship is not something, but someone. You are His strategy. To reach the world. You. He called you out of darkness into light. And the reason why he didn't take you straight into heaven. Is because now he has a mission for you to accomplish. He has someone he wants you to disciple. And in learning how to disciple others. He is discipling you. It is time to make following Jesus finding his children and discipling them, our number one priority. It is time for you and I to make this commitment. You and I are God's method. You and I need to become this. 
We need to become people who are light in dark places. We need to be people who share that the kingdom of God is near and call people to repentance. We need to be people who are busy about our Father's business in making or in catching people. You can still go fishing. You just have to, while you're fishing, be more concerned about the other guy in the boat than about the fish in the water. Can you imagine what it would look like if every one of the people here today, if every one of us just asked this question, God, we're at, prayed this prayer, God, God, give me one person that I could bring to Jesus. Now notice that prayer request. It's like, God, show me a lost person. That's not hard. You can watch TV and identify a lot of lost people. What you're praying is, God, show me a person that I can catch. Show me someone who I can show the light who wants to come out of darkness. Identify someone in my life who wants to be, who needs to be saved and who you desire to be saved. Pray for that person. Pray for God to reveal that person to you because he has that person. It could be a relative. It could be a coworker. It could be somebody sitting really close to you right now. I don't know who it is. But if you ask God to reveal that person to you, I, I, I'm always, Philip in the Ethiopian eunuch is, is one of the greatest stories. Philip is preaching revivals and people are getting saved and he is called by the Spirit of God out into the desert and he sees a guy reading Isaiah in a chariot and the Spirit moves him to go to that person and he goes and talks to him about and the, and the eunuch has questions about what he's reading in Isaiah that is a reference to the Messiah and Philip is able to explain to him who Jesus is and he looks at Philip and he says there's water what keeps me from being baptized and he puts his faith in Jesus Christ Philip wasn't even close to where he was God called him out of this successful religious uh, evangelistic moment and says I'm going to take you out into the middle of the desert because I have somebody I want you to reach it's because God cares about that one. He cares about your one. So take your one and write in on that card. And today, pray for your one to be saved. This, if, you, if you don't know the name, then hang on to the card and bring it back with you next week. You can bring it during the week and say, here's my card, here's the person I'm praying for, and we'll begin again to pray with you for that person. You know that person's name today. This is what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to write that name down as you just leave it on these steps. Put it up there. If I catch somebody stealing a card from up here and taking it, then you'll be punished. Um, no. Now they'll be safe up here. Just lay your cards. Also, I don't think I have to say this, but I taught middle school, so I have I say things like this just because of a fear of, I have of people. Don't go around the altar reading other people's cards. That's not what you're doing up here. Okay. If that's you, yeah, whatever. This is, a, this is a moment. I hope you can appreciate a moment when you see one, but this is a moment. Because this may be the beginning of God bringing another child into the kingdom of God. This may be the moment in somebody's story 
when we're getting ready to baptize them and they're sharing their testimony, this may be the moment that they're able to go back to because you began praying for them on that day. And that's where it traces back to. This could be the moment that God changes your life as well as somebody else's. So if you would take a moment, write that name on that little rectangle card. Keep the bookmark so you can remember to pray and bring that name up here. You can just drop it up here and go back to your seat if you want to. But if you want to take a moment to pray, take a moment to pray. You need to take a moment to borrow somebody's pen or, or something. I should have handed pencils out to everybody, but just you can get the job done. I know you can. But right now, I'm going to ask you to bring those up. Let me pray for everybody. And then, and then as soon as we get up praying while we're singing this song, I want to ask you to come. Stand with me as we pray. Father, we just thank you, God, for how great you are. And Lord, I just pray right now for everyone that you would give a name. Lord, thank you for the name that is on my heart. Lord, I, I'm so excited myself because the name that you've given to me is on the line. Lord, I can, I can see you working. And God, I just, I just, Lord, I want to see you bring this person in. I want to see this person make a commitment and know that they're going to be with you for all eternity. Lord, and I pray that you give everybody else a name too, Lord, that they would have a name that you put on their heart right now. And Lord, that you'd write that name down. They'd bring that and pray for that person. Just a, just a brief prayer, Lord, praying for that person for their salvation. Lord, use this moment. Make this a holy moment. Make this a moment in which we commune with you. And Lord, if there is anybody here today who can't write a name on a card because they are one, or they can write their own name on the card if they want to. But Lord, I pray they'll come seek me out, seek out Randy or seek out somebody and say, I want to be, I want to be the one today to give my life to Jesus Christ. I want to be the one to put my faith and trust in him so that I can be seen. I want to come out of darkness and I want to be in light. I know the kingdom of heaven is near and I want to be a part of it. Lord, if they're here today, I pray today will be the day that they will call out to you and be saved. Well, we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have those cards, just bring them. Bring them. Lay them up here.
celebrate. To celebrate God doing great things in our lives, celebrating, sharing the gospel, beginning a gospel, communicating with this area. I'm excited about that. If you're thinking, I, I want to share my faith, I just don't know how to do it, that's coming. We'll be giving you tools and resources on how to share your faith over the coming weeks and uh, to help you. It all begins with praying for that person, though. Downstairs, we have a meal waiting for us. Typically, the people in the kitchen will, like, waft the aroma of the food toward me so that it makes me conclude my sermons faster. It's an effective tool. It's been used for years. But we have a meal downstairs. If you had not planned to eat with us and you didn't bring something today, they came up and wanted me to communicate with you that there is there's like a loaves and fishes moment going on down there. There is a lot of food downstairs that we can't possibly eat all of it uh, unless you stay and eat with us. So do not have any guilt. I know I've had people say, I don't want those people to think that I just came for the free meal. Well, brother, we all came for the free meal. Uh, so you're... Yeah, you're, you're amongst friends, so please just stay and eat with us. We have a dessert auction that's going to take place afterwards. There's some uh, cake. We're celebrating. Uh, Cindy, go stand by your wonderful husband there. You make him look better. Um, we're celebrating the 50th wedding anniversary of Randy and Cindy Riley. I think it's amazing. The next time a staff member will get to 50 will Kim and I. And so we've got 19 more years till that happens. So this is, an, um, this is a moment uh, of just really enjoying that with them. Uh, and Randy is going to, we have a kind of a ribbon cutting ceremony to celebrate our, this is our first church-wide event in our new fellowship hall. And so uh, all of our people who helped with our fellowship hall, uh, helped get it going, we're gonna. You're our people of honor today. Randy and Cindy get to go first in the line, uh, but then we are going to ask um, the um, the rest of you guys that helped with fellowship all get right up behind them. We want you to get you to the line. We also just want to just thank you so much. Okay, get everybody get a round of applause for all the people who helped do such a great job on that. So many, so much hard work, so many nights, and Randy will take a moment to recognize you guys later. But if I'm while well, I'm gonna ask the blessing on the meal. And uh, then I'm going to ask uh, Randy and Cindy to scoot out. And then our people who helped with the fellowship ball, Randy will know who you are. Uh, so uh, he will, they'll make him call you out and say, you didn't do anything. Get in the back of the line. Uh, no. Uh, if you help in the fellowship ball, we want you to be a part of getting in through the food and so forth. And then our, then our guest obviously wants you to be a part of it. Uh, preachers usually go last, so don't worry about that. Uh, but uh, we, we're so glad you're here with us today. Um, Randy, oh, how do we get there? How do we get there? I'm actually, it's a question. It's not rhetorical. I'm asking anybody. Is that the stairways? Is that the best way? Or <laughs> if you've never tried to walk through our church building, it's in a, there's stair, the elevators back here. There are two stairways that go down singly down this way. There are stairs out this door, and then there are stairs back over on this side uh, that will eventually get you there. Uh, if you go beyond those stairs, by Monday we should find you and get you where you need to be. Yeah, take your cell phone with you just in case. That's right. So, uh, but anyway, yes, elevators out this way though, and there's two stairways at the back, but uh, they'll be ready for you. Just see the guy in the red vest sweater. If you're in front of him, you've not heard what I was saying. So, um, so anyway, 
let me pray for us and then we'll be dismissed and uh, and have a time of fellowship together Father, we just thank you, God, so much for how great and amazing you are. Thank you for the food that's been prepared. Thank you, Lord, for this fellowship hall has been completed. And, Lord, for providing us the resources and raising up people. Thank you for our guests who are here today and for all of our people and and for everybody that's here. Lord, I pray that everybody will see this as a great opportunity for us just to enjoy good food and fellowship together and stay. Lord, I pray that... uh, Thank you for reminding me right now we don't have service tonight, Lord, and just uh, so pray that the rest of the afternoon, evening is one that brings glory to you, and Lord, you are blessed by it. And uh, Lord, now just uh, guide us, direct us, fill us with your Holy Spirit. Thank you for 50 wonderful years uh, of marriage for Randy and Cindy, and may this be a time of blessing and celebration for them as well. For we pray it in Jesus' name, amen.